Hi there. I'm James. I'm the pastor of the Glenwood Moravian Community Church here in Madison, Wisconsin. And this is The Essentials. It's a little podcast where we take some time to explore our faith and share the good news and the hope that we see in the world. Today I have for you our readings and our lesson from Sunday, December 3rd. This was the first Sunday of Advent, a Sunday where we focused on hope. Our first reading was from the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, and it was verses 1 through 9. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountains would quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you, who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you in your ways. But you were angry, and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls on your name, or attempts to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us, and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider, we are all your people. Our gospel lesson is from the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 13, verses 24 through 37. This is known as the Little Apocalypse. But in those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near, at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be aware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey, when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore keep awake, 
for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or at cock crow or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. Here ends the reading of our word. I played a lot of basketball in the driveway as a kid. Many summer days were spent with my older brother, Joel, and then the three Vanderleest boys from up the road. My mom was a teacher, so she had summers off and worked out a deal with the Vanderleest's mom that they'd get dropped off, dropped off at our house just about every day. So we rode our bikes, <clears throat> we played video games, we went to the Little League Baseball Diamond and had home run derbies. But our absolute favorite thing to do was play basketball. And our dads loved it too. Throughout our childhood, they coached whatever team we were on more often than not. And as great as it was to have your dad as your coach, it did come with a few minor setbacks. Like in order to make sure that they weren't showing favoritism, the five of us were usually given less slack in practice or during a game. If we goofed off or if we made a mistake, it was bound to be magnified. We could survive that, though. The worst thing was that basketball in our driveway was almost another form of practice for us. There's a chance for us to get better, to work on our game and take things seriously. It wasn't a time to see how many cool trick shots we could make bouncing it off the roof of the garage. And it definitely wasn't a time to lower the hoop so that we could dunk. And that part drove us crazy. So when you're a little kid and you watch basketball highlights, you only care about the slam dunks, and you desperately want to recreate them. But being four and a half feet tall made that pretty difficult. Luckily, we had an adjustable hoop at our house, and we could dunk if it was put down to the lowest setting. But our coaches for fathers weren't having any of that. It was probably a safety thing, you don't need five kids jumping and hanging on the rim, running into each other, or even tearing the entire hoop down. But our dad said that playing on the mini hoop wasn't going to help us get any better at basketball. So it was strictly off limits. And we were pretty good about following that rule. We kind of understood it and accepted it. But one day... We had had enough. My dad was at work. My mom had stepped out for just a little bit. And we decided it was time. It was time to try all of those dunks we had seen on TV. So we had a perfect plan to not get caught, too. We lived on the corner of a four-way intersection. And there was this long, straight stretch of road that led to our house. We knew my dad would be home around four o'clock. So starting at 345, we took turns sending someone to the end of the driveway and having them peer down the long road 
to see if my car, my, my dad's car was on the horizon yet. And once we saw him, we'd raise the hoop. He would never know. It was foolproof. Well, after several times going down and checking without seeing my dad on his way, someone finally spotted him. And he was much closer to the house than we had anticipated. We had a lot less time than we thought. So we heard the shout from the end of the driveway, and the five of us panicked. We chucked the basketballs into the yard. We rushed inside. We made it in safely, all without raising the basketball hoop back up to the normal height. When my dad came inside, we were obviously busted. And after we dealt with our punishment, we gathered to debrief and figure out what went wrong. How could we have possibly gotten caught with such a good plan? Whose fault was it? Should we have sent someone else down to the end of the driveway, or should we have designated someone to raise the hoop up when we saw him? These were very valid questions. But I suppose the best solution to avoid getting caught, the best practice to keep from getting in trouble when my dad returned, would have been to simply follow the rules given to us in the first place. That was really the only zero-risk strategy, to be doing the right thing while we waited. It's this idea of staying ready so you don't have to get ready. And that's what Reverend Timothy Adkins Jones says that Jesus is telling his followers and telling us as we wait for his return. Stay prepared, stay alert, so you won't be surprised when it happens. Stay ready, so you don't have to scramble and get ready. The words of advice we could have used before we had that slam dunk contest in the driveway. But they're also solid words of advice for where we find ourselves today. Preparing, waiting for Jesus to enter our midst here in the season of Advent. And we should spend this time of anticipation doing the right things now. Doing the right things so this world better mirrors Christ's light as he arrives. But the elephant in the room is a sense of struggle when we consider just how long we might have to wait. Not for December 25th, not waiting for Christmas Day, because that's easy. That's a date on our calendar each year. We know when we're getting closer to it. As Jesus says, to learn from the fig tree and to watch for the signs for when things are about to happen, in the same way, we know when Christmas is getting near. Department stores start bringing out their decorations right after Halloween. Then in a few weeks, Mariah Carey reclaims her throne on the radio. We know those signs. And when we see them, we can find the energy to be ready for all that Advent and Christmas bring. But then what about our time 
spent waiting to meet Jesus, not just our celebration of his birth. Because staying ready so we don't have to get ready, that's a lot harder when we don't know how long we need to be prepared for. That sense of being alert and being awake, it seems doable in the short term. But the thought of that being your constant state of living kind of seems exhausting. And Jesus tells his followers, stay awake for my return. He says that this generation he's speaking to won't pass away before it happens. But Mark wrote his gospel between 60 and 70 AD, which means much of that generation had passed away, as Mark writes, waiting for this thing to take place. And Jesus gives those directions through the signs that are going to take place. He says, you'll know the time is near when you see these things. But then immediately he says, truly no one knows the time or the day. But stay alert. You never know when he will return. A generation passes, a hundred years pass, 2,000 years pass, and here we are, trying to be vigilant with a sense of urgency that this demands, but also feeling like we're pretty far removed from this promise. And sitting in that tension of being prepared while we wait, but also feeling like we've been waiting for so long. It's why the theme of hope is appropriate for the first Sunday of Advent. As Christians, what are we hoping for as we wait for that baby in a manger? Maybe it's the hope that he will fix things for us. He will help us mend relationships. He will help us lift up the neglected and answer our prayers by bringing peace to earth. Maybe it's the hope that his light will shine in the darkness. That he will truly continue to change this world forever. Hope in Jesus certainly isn't wasted but it also has to genuinely change us as his followers, change the way we see the world and the way we see this time of waiting. Because as the anticipation that Jesus creates with his disciples leaves them on the edge of their seats, you could then imagine their frustration as they end up waiting longer than they predicted. And you could even understand if they started to have some doubts. But in the end, their hope that they had in Jesus was worth it to them. So they continue on. They share about his life and his message. They serve and love. They take on the risk of discipleship in their lives. Because they hope and they believe what Jesus said he would provide is true. Centuries later, without seeing his earthly ministry firsthand, 
and thousands of miles away from where he would have walked, hope in what Jesus offers still means something to us. There's still something about him that says he matters. He's worth our time and our sacrifice. We choose the hope he sees in us to be on the path that believes there's good we can bring to the world, to be on the road that believes brokenness can be made whole. That is what and who we hope for as people of faith. When the journey seems too long, as it often does, when the problems seem too big, as they sometimes do, we are reminded in this season that we're not only waiting for something better to arrive, but that Jesus calls us to produce something better. To do the right thing, to stay ready so we don't miss an opportunity, and to keep the light of Christ alive because it just might give someone else hope that they can cling to. A new purpose, a new sense of worth or direction, no matter how small it might seem, it means something. And waiting for Jesus in the right way means something. So my prayers go with you for all that you are hoping for during this season. And my hands and feet go with you also for the hope we strive to make known in the lives of others as they wait. Let's prepare for this better world we've been promised, not by asking how long it will be till it arrives, but by embracing all that we can do with the time we've been given. Amen. I thank you for checking out another episode here on the podcast. I truly hope you are well and feeling hopeful during this very special season. You can check out more about the church I serve, the Glenwood Moravian Community Church. You can find our website, follow us on Facebook. You can join us for worship on YouTube. And if you want to know more about Moravians in general, you can always go to moravian.org. So take care, be well, I'll catch you next time.